The following audio is from Two Pillars Church, a gospel-centered, missionally-focused church located in Lincoln, Nebraska. More information about Two Pillars Church can be found at www.twopillarschurch.com. J. Todd Billings, a Western Theological Seminary professor, was 39 in 2012 when he heard those fateful words. It's cancer. He was diagnosed with an incurable blood cancer, and in his book, Rejoicing and Lament, Wrestling with Incurable Cancer and Life in Christ, Billings gives firsthand testimony of the complexity of walking out the Christian faith while staring his illness and his own mortality in the face. For Billings, the language of lament, especially as expressed in the Psalms, has been an indispensable part of the journey. This is what he says. He says, in the wake of my diagnosis and entrance into chemo, I can say my response was not simple. I found myself taking solace in these different yet complementary Complementary modes of praying and living before God, lament and grieving and praise, lament and protest, trust. There were many open questions, more than I could embody or express at any given moment. Thus, the diversity of modes of praying that I found in the Psalms and in the Christian community around me was a buoy. So what, what is lament? What does it mean to lament? Well, another, writing, or another writer on the topic, Mark Vrogop, defines lament in this way. He says, it is a divinely given invitation to pour out our fears, frustrations, and sorrows for the purpose of helping us to renew our confidence in God. Elsewhere, he writes, lament is a prayer in pain that leads to trust. It is not only how Christians grieve, it's the way Christians praise God through their sorrows. And so lament is how we pray when we're in pain and we don't feel like praying. Lament is how we worship when we're disappointed with life and we don't really feel like worshiping. Lament is how we trust when we're suffering and struggling to truly trust. And we see lament all over the scriptures. All over the scriptures, especially in the Psalms. In fact, Psalms of lament make up the largest single category of Psalms, accounting for about one-third of all of the psalms. That's approximately 50 psalms dedicated to lament. And one such, one, one such psalm is the psalm that, that Marty just read for us, Psalm 6. Psalm 6 is a psalm of lament. And we see in it the basic elements of lament. And I've, I preached on this. I'm not going to break these down in great detail. And I'll, I'll post a link to that sermon to Realm at some point this this week, but, but we do see the basic elements in Psalm 6. We see complaining. See, David, our psalmist, he identifies the pain and the injustice that he's experiencing. 
We see phrases like, I'm languishing. My bones are troubled. It's very likely there was some kind of physical ailment that he was dealing with. My soul is greatly troubled. I'm weary. My eyes waste away. There's complaining. There's also asking. David makes specific requests of God, calling on him to act. Heal me, he says in verse 2. Deliver my life in verse 4 and save me again, verse 4. Now, as we look at these elements of lament, it's important to note that there's nothing particular, particularly Christian about complaining. Can we agree with that? You don't have to be a Christian in order to complain, but Christians tend to be pretty good at complaining. That's been my experience. I don't know. That's been my own personal experience looking myself in the mirror. Look, biblical lament isn't complaining merely for the sake of complaining. It's, it's an act of faith. It's an expression of worship. And look, it, to make an ask, to make an, a request, even to make a request of God isn't distinctly Christian either. What makes lament distinctly Christian is the way that it begins and the way that it ends. You see, lament begins with a turning, a turning to the Lord in faith in the midst of pain, suffering, trial, or disappointment. David isn't writing a dear diary in Psalm 6. He's crying out to the Lord. Look at the verse two verses. He says, O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am languishing. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are troubled. So lament, it begins with the turning in faith to the Lord, but it also ends in a distinct way as well. It, it ends with trusting the Lord. The, the way that a, a lament ends, trusting in the Lord, this is the anchor of the prayer of lament. You see, the, the movement of the prayer is from complaints and questions to confidence in the Lord. It's from complaints and questions to affirming and praising the Lord's worthiness for this confidence. This is the movement of Psalm 6 as well. Verse 9, the Lord has heard my plea. The Lord accepts my prayer. When you're in pain, it's a wonderful thing to be heard. And David has been heard. And then he speaks very confidently in verse 10. All my enemies shall be ashamed and greatly troubled. They shall turn back and be put to shame in a moment. Turning, trusting. These are the things that make lament distinctly Christian. But look, all of this is easier said than done, isn't it? While, while these things might make a prayer of lament truly Christian, this is also where the perplexity of prayer lies. You see, we're often reluctant to cry out to the Lord in the midst of our pain in the first place. And we're also often, to, often reluctant to move from pain and questions to a place of trust and confidence. 
And so this is what I want to talk about this morning. Two things as we unpack the perplexity of, of prayer. Number one, our reluctance to turn. And number two, our reluctance to trust. So our, our reluctance to turn. Why are we at times, why are you at times, slow to turn to the Lord in prayer when suffering or hardship or affliction arise? There are lots of reasons. <laughs> and and th- this morning, uh, the sermon won't be exhaustive, but I've got three that I think cover a fair amount of ground. The first is guilt. Especially in the midst of trial and suffering, guilt tends to ask the question, what have I done? What have I done? What did I do to deserve this? There must be an answer to that question. See, if if guilt is making you reluctant to turn to the Lord, then you're probably entertaining the idea that the Lord brought this pain, brought this suffering or this trial, this affliction upon you because of something you've done. You're having a hard time convincing yourself that this isn't the Lord's punishment for you. His wrath being poured out upon you. And look, if if you're being punished, then to approach your punisher in faith and trust is a difficult thing, isn't it? And in fact, it, it even feels like a dangerous thing. Best to cut your losses and go the other direction. But look again at the first verse in Psalm 6. Notice here that David doesn't just approach the Lord flippantly. He doesn't just cry out to the Lord flippantly. It, it seems as though he's aware of either some specific sin that's present in his life or maybe he's aware just generally of the nature of his own sinfulness. Either way, he approaches the Lord in this way. Appealing to his mercy and grace, he says, O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger. Discipline me not in your wrath. David makes a specific appeal, an appeal to the mercy of his God, an appeal to the grace of his Lord. And look, if you belong to Jesus by faith, then there is no wrath or condemnation to you, for you. You too can Approach the Lord appealing to his mercy and his grace because in Christ you have both. If you're united to Christ by faith, then there is no punishment for you. If you're united to Christ by faith, then Jesus took it all. In your place, condemned, he stood. And he did this so that you could approach the throne of grace with confidence, not in fear, in your time of need, in your time of pain. Secondly, we're reluctant to turn to the Lord in the midst of our pain because of shame. It's been said that if if guilt is the wound, then shame is the scar. And I, I like that. I think that's a really good, I think that's a really good way of teasing out the difference between guilt and shame. You see, shame is concerned less with what I've done and more about questions of identity. Shame, shame is getting at the heart of who I 
who I am. And so therefore, the shame that's reluctant to turn to the Lord in pain asks the question, who am I? Who am I that I should cry out to the Lord right now? Who am I that I should ask for help? Who am I that I should turn to him by faith, in faith? And look, it's, it's the same psalm as David, two chapters earlier in the book of Psalms that writes this. He says, but know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. In other words, this, those who have been set apart by God belong to God and are therefore heard by God. Does that make sense? What David is saying here is that you're heard not because you're worthy of being heard. And this is important because if if the Lord hears you only if you're worthy of being heard, you can never be quite sure whether or not he's heard you. Because the Lord, you see, doesn't always send read receipts or read receipts, right? Like the the thing that pops up on your phone and says, yeah, Kaylee got the message, she read it. Like, the Lord doesn't always send those. How do we know? Well, if you belong to the Lord, then, then you know. He's heard you. The Lord hears those that he set apart for himself. Look, if, if one of my kids comes to me in pain, they just fell off their bike and skinned their knee, they never have to wonder whether or not I'm going to listen or give them an audience because of their identity, because of who they are. They're my son, they're my daughter, and they have my ear, they have my attention. As the 19th century preacher Charles Spurgeon said, since he chose to love us, he cannot but choose to hear us. Do you belong to him by faith? Then you can turn to him in prayer and he hears you. A couple of of quick notes here now on the the heels of a discussion of, of guilt and shame. There is a difference between condemnation and consequences. Okay? And so while there is no condemnation for you if you are in Christ Jesus, there may be natural consequences to your your foolishness and folly and sin. Those are, are two different things. And yet, the Lord is so rich in mercy and grace, even when we're afflicted by the consequences of our sin, what? We we have the Father's ear. I should also say there's a difference between condemnation and discipline. You see, condemnation is punitive. And Scripture tells us that there's, there's, none, there's none of that left for those of us who belong to Christ. Because all of, all of God's punitive condemnation has been poured out upon Christ. He's exhausted the wrath of God on our behalf on the cross. Discipline, on the other hand, is, is a thing that a good and loving father does for his children. And it's painful in the moment, but it's corrective in nature. Correct, uh, uh, the the writer of, of Hebrews tells us that discipline from the Lord is not evidence of God's wrath for us, but it's actually a sign of the fact that we belong to him. 
It's God's kindness showed to us. And so there, there's, there's a difference. I, I want to be really... I want to be really careful about that. And so while your affliction is not the, the result of God pouring out his punishment upon you, Christian, there, there is a chance, especially if you find yourself walking in, in unrepentant sin, that there's a chance that the Father is disciplining you. And, and still, and still, rich in mercy, rich in grace, and we can cry out to him. Thirdly, Third reason we're reluctant to turn to the Lord is pride. See, instead of turning to the Lord, pride says, I'm fine. I'm fine. This often looks like confident and sinful self-reliance. Look, I, I don't need to cry out to the Lord right now. I've got this. It's not that big of a deal. I'll take care of it. This is a problem I need to solve. I got myself into this mess. I'll get myself out of this mess. Or, or maybe downplaying. Again, I don't need to cry out to the Lord. It's, it's not that big of a deal. This, this too shall pass. But look, I, I, think, there's something, I think there's something more to the, the pride thing. I, I'm convinced that underneath all of this, underneath our pride, is the avoidance of pain. You see, to, to cry out to God and lament, to turn to him in the midst of our pain, to acknowledge our need for his help and his intervention and his sustaining grace, it's to acknowledge our pain, and what's worse, it's to feel our pain. And we don't like to feel pain, do we? It It hurts. By definition, pain hurts. It makes us feel weak. It makes us feel vulnerable and exposed. And so we go to great lengths to avoid it. How do we do this? Well, we, did, we escape. We distract ourselves. We, we numb the pain. We do this, practically speaking, through busyness. We pack our calendars. We throw ourselves at our work. We're always busy, always running, always doing something. Why? It could be that you're running from the pain. We, we escape pain with, with noise. We, we surround ourselves with people constantly, and we, we file it under the label extrovert. The TV's always on, just scrolling through my social media feeds, constantly reading the headlines, anything to keep me from having to be alone with my own thoughts and my own pain and silence. Of course, there's substances, alcohol, and others. There's sex and pornography, there's shopping, there's eating or anything else that'll give me that quick dopamine hit to, to numb the pain, if, if even for a short while. And, and sadly, I think that we even use our theology to this end. 
in an effort to avoid the pain. I, I think a favorite of our kind of church and the, just the general theological tribe we belong to, I think a, a favorite of ours is the sovereignty of God. I hear this a lot. And look, some in the room have been blessed with just an incredible measure of faith. So I don't want you to think if, if you are leaning heavily into the sovereignty of God that I'm like standing back and like judging you uh, and not believing that, that you're resting there. But, but I, I hear this a lot. Have you ever downplayed your pain like this? Well, God's sovereign. He's in control. I, I know I just need to trust him. Now look, God is sovereign. Yes, and amen to that. He is sovereign, that's true. He directs all things according to his will and to his purpose. That's, that's the definition of, of sovereignty. But the sovereignty of God, listen to this, the sovereignty of God doesn't make your pain any less painful. The theological camp to which you belong does not make your pain any less painful. Or to put it another way, to experience and feel pain, the pain of loss, doesn't necessarily indicate sin or weakness of faith. Even faith in a sovereign God. To experience a pain of loss, look, to to experience a pain of loss is to live in a broken world by sin. To experience a pain of loss is to long for something better in the process. In Psalm 6, David, in, in all his right theology, in all, in all of his intimate knowledge of the Lord, he doesn't use this knowledge to downplay or to manage his pain. He, he doesn't use it all to, to avoid the pain or to numb his pain. Rather, he acknowledges his pain. He acknowledges his weakness to the Lord, all of it. And he cries out to the Lord for deliverance and relief from it. 1 Peter 2.21 says this, for, you have been, for to this you have been called, Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. How are we we to follow in the steps of a Savior who suffered and who experienced pain if we're unwilling to suffer and experience and, and to feel our own pain? The good news for the Christian, for for you and me, the good news for the Christian in pain is that Jesus knows what it's like to suffer. Jesus knows what it's like to experience pain, and he frees us to feel our pain and to turn to him for help in the midst of it. That means that we can freely and confidently cry out to the Lord in prayers of pain, knowing that we have a great high priest who suffered and endured the pain of the cross for us and who will one day give us eternal relief 
eternal relief from our pain and from our suffering. So let me ask, are you suffering? Are you in pain? Are you experiencing affliction? Maybe just wallowing just in a sense of disappointment in what life has given you. Lonely. Have you cried out to the Lord? Have, have you turned to him in faith in the midst of your pain? Or have you found yourself, perhaps because of guilt or shame or pride fueled by the avoidance of your pain, have you found yourself reluctant to turn to him? Let me, let me implore you today. Could, could today be the day that you, that you feel your pain, that you acknowledge it, that you go to the Lord and cry out to him for help, for relief? So the, the perplexity of prayers of pain and lament is found on the one hand in our reluctance to turn to him in the midst of our pain, but of course that's not the end. It's not the end of the story. It's also found, on the other hand, in our reluctance to trust in him. That brings us to our second point. Here's, here's the thing about lament. The thing that I struggle with when it comes to lament. A prayer of lament ends in the tension of unresolved suffering. A prayer of lament ends in the tension of unresolved suffering. You see, it's, it's a prayer in pain that leads to trust, but not necessarily to the resolution of your problem. See, the, the movement of the prayer is from complaints and questions on the one hand to confidence in the Lord on the other hand. And yet, by the time the prayer of lament is finished, by the time you've closed your journal, your circumstances haven't changed, have they? This is the case in Psalm 6. Depart from me, all you workers of evil, David writes, for the Lord has heard the sound of my weeping. And so David says, depart from me. The Lord has heard me. He's given me his ear. He's heard my voice. And then this in verse 10, all, all my enemies shall be ashamed and greatly troubled. They shall turn back and be put to shame in a moment. Notice the tense in verse 10. It's future tense. It hasn't happened yet. David's enemies will be put to shame in a moment. The thing is, David just doesn't know when that moment is to come. So David is left with a question, the question that he pens in verse 3. says, my soul also is greatly troubled, but you, O oh Lord, how long? How long? This is one of the most common questions asked in the Psalms of lament. How long? How long, O oh Lord? How long must I wait? How long must I suffer? How long will you tarry? Why haven't you answered my prayer? But 
let's be, let's be honest for a moment. Any God who answers your prayers or mine according to our terms, according to our timelines, according to our wishes, this God is, is really no God at all, is he? I'm reminded of the Lord's words to Job. He says, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who, who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? Look, a, a prayer of lament that ends in trust requires us to acknowledge that God is God and you and I, we're just not. And look, we could spend all kinds of time trying to answer these questions. Why hasn't God answered? How, how long? And there are answers to be found, to be sure, but the fact of the matter is, is that most of the time, we just don't know. We don't have that answer definitively given to us and for us. So the question is, what do we do? Well, we lament. We lament and we move towards trust in the midst of our pain and in the midst of these questions. And as we do so, we anchor ourselves, we, we chain ourselves to God's holy character so that we're not tossed about. We anchor ourselves to his steadfast love, his goodness, his unceasing faithfulness, the unceasing faithfulness that he's shown to his people throughout the ages and the, the same unceasing faithfulness that he continues to show to us, to you, to me, that will continue to show until he returns. And until he does return, we continue to cry out to him, how long? How long? Yeah, prayer, especially prayer in pain, it's, it's perplexing. The question then that we're, we're left with is how do we navigate the perplexity? How do we navigate our reluctance to turn to him in faith? How do we navigate our reluctance to trust in him, even in the absence of an answer, especially in the absence of an answer? I want to get as practical as, as I possibly can here. Two things I want to say about this. Number one, we, we navigate the perplexity by practicing praying with the language of lament. Look, for many of us, this is not a part, part of our prayer lives. I know that because this is a room full of evangelical Christians. And we don't think of worship or praise in terms of lament. It's a little bit 
by happier. Let me propose that there's a difference between joy and happiness. And as Christians, we have, we have access to an inexhaustible source of joy. We do not, this side of his return, have access to an inexhaustible source of happiness. Because we live in a world broken, marred by sin. And so we need to practice praying with the language of lament. And so to help you, I'm going to post a resource to Realm later on this week, and including the link uh, to the sermon from last summer where I, I, I talked about the elements of a prayer of lament. We're going to get really practical and help you to know what does it look like for me in a, in a biblical sense to pray a prayer of lament. And, and look, we, we can't wait until the catastrophe comes in order to put this into practice. This needs to be a regular response to the frustration that we come into contact with in our lives. It has to be a regular response to, 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 to everyday fear, pain, rejection, suffering, injustice, persecution, disappointment. If this isn't a regular this isn't a regular rhythm in our lives. We're not going to be prepared when we get the phone call. There's been an accident. We're not going to be prepared when we hear the words, it's cancer. We're not going to be prepared when we hear those words, I can't, be a, I can't be friends with someone who believes those things. We're not going to be prepared, so we need to put this practice, we need to put this into, into practice now. Secondly, again, this, this isn't the kind of thing that happens overnight. And and we need help. We need someone to show us the way. J. Todd Billings would, would say that we need to look no further than the Psalms. The writers of, of the Psalms will teach us. In fact, Billings calls the Psalms a divine pedagogy for our affections. Listen to what he says. He says, whether you are in a season of rejoicing or lament... Praying all the psalms should be the practice of Christ followers everywhere. Don't skip over the psalms of lament. So often we, we go to the psalms looking for a pick-me-up. Do you have that psalm that you go to looking for a pick-me-up? At times, brothers and sisters, that pick-me-up might be artificial. You might need to sit in the pain. You might need to feel it. You might need to lament. For through the Psalms, God shows us how to pray. God uses the words of the Psalms to reshape our desires and affections. God meets us in the midst of our prayer with and through the Psalms. In the Psalms, we have a prayer book through which God puts us on the path of trusting in his promises. And then this, the Psalms are given to us by God to guide our prayer and to transform us more and more into our identity in Christ as members of the body of Christ. So two pillars. Let me encourage you. Let, let us be a church that laments. Let's lament in private. Let's lament in our gospel communities. When 
when relevant, of course. And let's lament together as a body. Let's immerse ourselves in the Psalms of lament. And in so doing, would the Lord transform our desires? Would he transform our affections? Would he transform us more and more into our identity in Christ as members of the body of Christ? Let's pray. Father, when some of us sit here today keenly aware of of what it means to be in pain, physical pain, emotional pain, spiritual pain. Lord, for those of us who are experiencing pain, even now, Lord, would you give them the grace that they need to cry out to you in faith, to turn to you in the midst of their pain? And then, Lord, should you not resolve their suffering, should you not remove their their pain immediately, Lord, would you give them the grace that they need to trust you in the midst of it? Father, would, would they anchor themselves to your holy character, to to your steadfast love. And Lord, there are some of us today who who aren't experiencing pain, and and honestly, we found ourselves wandering a little bit. (laughs) This is a a sermon for someone else, but the the truth of the matter is that this, this might not be a sermon for me today, but it might be a sermon for me tomorrow. And so, Lord, would would we be a, a church, a people that grows increasingly comfortable with prayers of lament? And Lord, would we would we navigate the perplexity of this prayer by faith? And Lord, would you teach us using the divine pedagogy of our affections that is the Psalms? Lord, thank you. Thank you that you hear us. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this audio from Two Pillars Church. Feel free to share this audio with others, but please do not alter or edit the content in any way. For more information about Two Pillars Church, please visit www.twopillarschurch.com.